imagine with me for a moment that there is a family of four, and they live on the corner of a busy street. There's two loving parents, and they have two children together, and like any loving parent would do, uh, they set some guidelines for their kids to follow. One of the guidelines is you can't play in the busy street. Now, from that point on, um, the kids would have a choice. You know, do we obey our loving parents or do we not? But one response that would not make much sense is if the kids were to say to their mom and dad, you don't love us. If you loved us, you wouldn't give us these rules and make us obey all the time. It's interesting to me when non-Christians view God in a similar way. They assume, well, he can't be a loving God if he's got rules and commands. But like the loving parents in this example, God's commands are actually for our own good, for our own protection and well-being. I feel like there are a lot of misunderstandings in the world today about this idea of God's law versus God's grace. I have several friends who are uh, non-believers, and we've had a lot of conversations about this topic. And um, a lot of times an atheist will argue that the God of the Old Testament is much different than the New Testament. Or they may say, or they may ask, why do Christians follow certain laws of the, of the Bible and not some of the older laws? So it's an important conversation to have. But I also feel like many Christians get confused on this topic. Even if they don't say that with their mouth, their, their lives may show otherwise. For example, a Christian may say that they know we are saved by grace and not by works, but they're still spending their lives trying to earn God's favor. So a couple things we have to understand about the Old Testament law right off the bat. These laws were in fact given to the nation of Israel. Some of them were to show them how to worship Some of the laws were to show them how to separate themselves from the rest of the world. And some of the laws were to show them how to obey and please God. But today, as Christians, we are no longer living under the law. We are living under the grace of God. Now, does that mean we should just forget everything that the Old Testament says? Does that mean that, you know, there's no guidelines to follow? Well, definitely not. And that's another reason for this message today is for us to have a conversation about how we can live under grace while still applying God's commands to our life. I want to share uh, two incredible scriptures with you that will hopefully uh, guide us in the right direction with this. Um, The first one comes from Galatians 3, and and really the entire chapter of Galatians 3 will be a great uh, study for you for this topic. But I'm just going to read three verses um, from verses 23 to 25, and I'm reading from the NLV It says, before it was possible to be saved from the punishment of sin by putting our trust in Christ, we were held under the law. It was as if we were being kept in prison. We were kept this way until Christ came. And here's a key verse. The law was used to lead us to Christ. It was our teacher. And so we were made right with God by putting our trust in Christ. Now that our faith is in Christ, we do not need the law to lead us. So in this passage, and, and please don't miss this, Paul is teaching us that one of the very reasons for the commands from God was to show us our need for a Savior in the first place. 
See, most people think the, the commands from God are all about, you know, who, who's going to earn the love of God and earn his favor as if God was saying, follow these commands if you want to be saved. And, and Paul is clearly saying that's not the case. God's law was put in place primarily to show us our need for Jesus and to lead us to him. So as a Christian, when I uh, think about these commands, when I uh, read them, when I hear about them, my attitude towards them should be more along the lines of, man, I can't, I can't measure up to all this on my own. I'm not perfect. I'm incapable of scoring 100% on this. Therefore, my only shot is if I have a Savior, and that's, that's the point. Look at Romans 7, 7. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So again, the law from God, it calls out our sin and then shows us our need for our Savior. It reveals that. It acts as a mirror to us for that. I love how uh, Bishop N.T. Wright put it in one of his books. He said this. He says, rules in faith are like guardrails on the highway. They help guide you so you don't get hit with oncoming traffic, but they don't get you to your destination. God's reign through Jesus is the destination. So we should think of this quote from now on when we're thinking about the commands from God in the future. They help guide us and protect us, but they are not the things that save us. And as I mentioned earlier, several of my atheist friends uh, question why God could be so different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But my response to them is always, I don't see a difference. I really don't. I mean, the older I get, the more I study. Um, I, I understand the entire Bible is about God revealing himself to humanity. And the Old Testament is just as much about Jesus as the New Testament is about Jesus. And then when Jesus walked this earth, what did he teach from? Old Testament scriptures, confirming their truth, confirming the same God, and then expanding on those teachings as the word became flesh through him. Here's another example, King David. King David lived in the Old Testament. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 119, I want you to listen to a few of the things he, sa he says in that chapter, and these things may sound confusing to a non-believer. King David said, I delight in your law. He also said, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and, or gold. And then he also says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now, does that sound like a guy who is tied down by commands? Does that, you know, sound like a guy who is upset with God for giving him rules? Quite the opposite, actually. And the reason is David understood that these laws are the best thing for me. These laws bring freedom. These laws bring life. And then ultimately, they lead me to a Savior who will come. Now, even though we, we live now under grace instead of law, there still are a lot of principles that we should follow uh, for our own good and to, uh, to please God, um, like David found delight in God's law. Probably the most famous of all of God's laws would be the Ten Commandments. And uh, I had a chance with our senior high group last year in Sunday school to uh, have a series on the Ten Commandments. And what we would do is we'd take one commandment per week and break it down. And, and uh, it was definitely not a, a series to say, you know, we've got to do these things or God won't love you or to be saved. And No, it was actually 
God loves us and has already saved us, so let's follow him. And that was the mindset behind it. So this morning, what I'd like to do is quickly uh, run through some of the things that we talked about in that series. And so basically, I'm about to give you a 10-point sermon. Some of you are terrified. No. Um, I promise it'll be quick. Uh, We're going to run through these very quickly. And before we do that, um, I want to let you know that some translations of the Bible, when they say, or instead of using the words, the Ten Commandments, they use the the words, uh, the tables of testimony. And depending on the translation that you like, you may see that in your Bible. And and, uh, a lot of uh, people of that time actually used those words instead of the commandments, the tables of testimony. And I want to encourage you to think of the commands with that title. Because if we follow God, we are going to be a living testimony of him. So we find the, the commandments in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and it says, God spoke these words. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the audible voice of God. It's you know probably like Morgan Freeman's voice or James Earl Jones or somebody like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it yourself. Whatever the case... Uh, God spoke these commandments to the people, and like the kids out in the street, they had a choice. Do we become upset with God, um, claim that he doesn't love us because of these commandments, or do we understand these are the best things for us? Also keep in mind something that people overlook a lot. The commandments were given to uh, the Israelites right after they were freed from slavery, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to, to some people because they think if you were just freed, why would you be tied down with commands? And then the thing is, God, as we've been talking about, he wasn't saying I'm going to tie you back down with, with some kind of slavery, with rules. But basically, I'm going to extend your freedom by showing you the best way to live. And so that's got to be our mindset that these are not just ten rules. They are actually ten great ways to live. So again, we'll go through these quickly. The first two commandments are very similar to each other. They say, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall have no idols. Now the first one is more about the singularity of God. The second one is more about the image of God. But in both cases, we have to understand something. Anything we put before God is basically an idol. If it's a relationship before God or a sports team before God or our work or popularity, anything. If we're putting anything before God, those are idols in our lives. There was this, uh, this lady from India, this is a true story. Um, she was visiting America and she told her friends from America that she wanted to leave America because there was too many idols here. And her friends were pretty confused by this because they thought, like, wait a minute, you, you are from a, a country that has literal idols, like, they, they make idols and worship them in some parts of your country. What do you mean America has too many idols? What she was referring to was the fact that Americans worship celebrities and worship money and worship themselves and athletes and all, this, all these different things. So it's a very eye-opening um, story. Growing up, my, f- my favorite baseball player is Sammy Sosa, a uh, big Cub fan, loved watching him. He was mesmerized by him as a kid. Uh, when he would go out in the field, the uh, fans in the bleachers would literally bow to him. Uh, whether it's a joke or not, you know, some, some idol worship going on. And uh, now uh, I look back and, and I really, I, I treat 
people like that differently. You know, I, I'll say that, you know, this person's a hero of mine, or this person is a role model, someone I look up to, but I stay away from the words, he's my idol uh, anymore. No idols before God. In uh, Acts 17, we, we read this story. Paul's in Athens, and there's idols everywhere. They've got these inscriptions, and there's one inscription that says, to an unknown God. And basically, the, the people of Athens are trying to cover themselves in case they forgot about any God out there. You know, we want to make sure we cover ourselves. We're going to put this inscription that says, to an unknown God. And Paul tells them, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. The unknown God is the one true God. And these first two commandments, I believe they are first for a reason. Put God first, everything else would fall into place. Commandment number three is probably my favorite one to talk about because there's more to the story. Uh, it's, uh, the commandment three is don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. And growing up, I, I always used to think that this commandment was just about not using the Lord's name in vain. And that's definitely a big part of it. We should not use the Lord's name in vain. But there's more to this story. There's other ways that we can misuse God's name. I have a few examples. One of them, let's just say that a guy is dating this girl, and he walks up to her one day and says, we need to break up because God told me to. Now, don't get me wrong, that could definitely happen. You could be in a relationship, and you strongly feel God's calling you to get out of it. Uh, he wants you to be single, or he wants you to be out of that relationship. That, that definitely does and can happen, okay? Um, but let's just say that in this example, let's just say that it's a lie, Let's just say this guy is just trying to get out of a relationship. He doesn't know how else to do it. So he's bringing God into the picture. Now let's assume that the girl views God in a negative way because of how he handled it, because of how he used God's name. Even in a case like that, it can be breaking the third commandment. Um, another example, people who may use God's name to, to raise money. I've seen fake charities. I've seen them take a pastor's name and pretend like they're the, them and, and make money off of it. Um, it happens. Um, how about this one? This one probably uh, drives me the most nuts of all of them because I see it all the time. Um, let's just say that there's a, a game and uh, after one of the teams wins, they interview the star player and the star player after the game says, you know, we won because God's on our side drives me crazy because I'm thinking when I hear that, I hear it all the time, I'm like, so is God not on the side of the other team? Like, are you a stronger Christian than the Christians on the other side? And then it's like, okay, what about when you lose? Did you not pray hard enough that week or what? Like, so in a case like that too, they can, they can misuse, misrepresent God's name. How about um, protesters who don't have the right motives? They, they're filled with hate and they go someplace and they, they put their little Bible verses on their, uh, on their signs, but they're full of hate. They're not there for any right, good reason whatsoever. And they could be misrepresenting God as well. If you remember from the Bible, like what, what time did, the one time that Jesus got visibly upset, you know, like he, he was around people caught in adultery and he was always calm and forgiving. He was around people who stole People who broke all kinds of laws, and he'd always be calm and grace, gracious and forgiving. But the one time he got visibly upset is when they were using his name and turning God's house into a marketplace. We have to make sure we are representing who God really is. 
Fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath day holy. I love a verse from Mark 2, 27. It says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So that's another example of, you know, the commandments being for our own good. And even though we are not required today to observe, uh, observe a Sabbath day in the exact same way that they were in the Old Testament, um, it's still some things from it we can apply and should apply. It's about uh, setting aside time to rest, not overworking, um, and also setting aside time to worship would be a great thing for us. Fifth commandment is honor your parents. And this is where the commandments can get a little trickier because now we're talking about people. Loving people can sometimes be harder than loving God. Um, Paul uh, in Ephesians expands on this and he says, Children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. And if you look at the, the original uh, Greek language from this passage in Ephesians, the word children doesn't just refer to uh, little children. It's, ref- it's basically saying, if you have parents... So uh, our kids can't think, you know, I'm going to turn 18. I don't have to honor you anymore. I'm an adult. That's not what the Bible is saying here. If you have parents at all, you are to honor them. Now, your relationship with them may change as you grow up, but you're to honor them at all times. And when you, um, let's see, uh, God knew it was the case that, you know, no parents are perfect, no kids are perfect. It kind of covers us all for this. But if we can honor our parents, it'll help us honor other people. Uh, If you think about it, you know, if we can't honor our parents, if we can't honor our families, it's going to be very difficult to then honor everyone else. And we're called to love our enemies, love our neighbors. Um, so it starts with honoring them. Sixth commandment is do not murder. And I know some of you may be thinking, finally an easy one, right? I hope. Maybe not. Uh, finally one I've, I've kept my entire life and uh, you know, we're, we're at that point where it's like, okay, I, I can check this one off. Well, Jesus kind of said, not so fast on this one. Um, as he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he actually took this commandment and expanded on it. <coughs> and what he said is, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you that being angry with your brother is similar to murder. And so now as we hear that, we're thinking, okay, even this one's difficult Um, he likens being angry with being a murderer. Now, he did not have the wrong intentions with this. He was showing us the ultimate example. And again, as we talked about earlier, these commandments are showing us our need for a Savior. They are not about checking off a list of the ones we're good at, the ones we've been able to keep. Jesus wanted us to realize anger with our brothers is, in a way, breaking this command. He does the same thing with the next commandment. Do not commit adultery. Jesus, once again, expands on it. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks lustfully at someone that's not your spouse has committed adultery with them in your heart. I believe one reason that he did expand on these commands was to show us that our thoughts uh, can lead us to our actions. You know, little tiny thoughts can be like a a spark in a a forest that turns into a, a fire that can't be put out. So he taught it's not just our actions, it's our thoughts that need to be kept pure for the thoughts can then lead to actions. Eighth commandment is do not steal, and contentment comes into play here. Um, This one, self-explanatory in a sense, we don't like when things are taken from us, we we should treat others how we want to be treated. But for this commandment, uh, it shouldn't just be about material things, like in John 10 when it says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 
Uh, he's, the enemy comes to steal not just material things, but our hopes, our dreams, our passions, our joy. And if we steal that from others, um, it would be breaking this commandment as well. Ninth commandment is do not give false testimony. Many people will say do not lie for this one. Um, very simply put, Satan is known as the father of lies. So when we lie, we are doing Satan's work. I want to share today one of my most ridiculous lies I've ever told. I don't even know how old I was, probably seven or eight, something like that. And I was playing basketball at the Boys and Girls Club on a team, and one of my friends made a shot at the buzzer. And I was so excited that I jumped in the air, and I basically kneed myself in the face. And I heard a few laughs. It actually hurt. I don't know why we're laughing. No, but I, I had blood. Uh, my lip was like black and blue all the way up, and it, it wasn't pretty. But I was not going to tell people that I kicked myself in the face, okay? That's just too embarrassing. So I made up a lie on the spot when my parents came over and my team came over. Like, what happened? Guess what I said? Uh, a kid punched me on the other team. I was like, there's no way I'm going to just tell people I kicked myself in the face. It's okay. So I can imagine, though, like the next day at practice, the other team and the coach being like, who punched that kid? And we're going to run until somebody confesses, and it just, it would have been crazy. So my, my false testimony about someone else and caused some harm, and obviously there's many bigger examples than this, but the point is we've got to be careful, uh, especially when we're talking about someone else, about giving false testimony about them. Probably the funniest part of the story is the first time I was going to share it, I was in Florida, my ministry there, and, and I realized as I was writing the message, I was like, I don't think... I've ever told my parents that that was a lie. So if you remember that phone call, I, I called and said, so in case you listen to my message later, I want to tell you something that happened. So that was fun. But again, obviously there are far bigger examples that's a smaller on the smaller scale. But the truth is this, this world has enough people who gossip and spread rumors and cause dissension. Uh, they don't need Christians joining into that. We've got to be careful how uh, not to give false testimony about others. Last commandment is do not covet. Um, this issue, I believe, is greater than just saying I want what they have. It's a heart issue as well. We've got more than we deserve. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so that's a great verse to remember with this commandment. <clears throat> when people think about the commandments, whether it's the Ten Commandments or any commands from God, they seem to always focus on the don't do this, don't do that, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But I hope that we can see that commandments are even more about what we should be doing instead of just things we should not be doing. These are actually ten, as we said, ten great ways to live. Matt Chandler said this in one of his sermons. <clears throat> he said that all of the commands from God are about leading you into life, not taking it away from you. So my prayer is that we would recognize God's way is the best. It's not about religion, not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about God bringing us freedom and giving us grace when we fall short. Many people know that the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, I actually want to share a part of the story that doesn't get talked about very, very much and, and may get overlooked. So if you know the story that the man, a man had two sons, 
one of the sons was fed up, didn't want to live there anymore, takes the money and leaves town, goes to a different country, and I'm willing to bet that that man, at least for a while, probably felt very free. He probably felt, okay, I'm, I'm finally not under my father's rules anymore. I've got this money. I'm out on my own. can do whatever I want. My question is, how did that work out for him? We know the next part of the story. Uh, the country he moves to suffers a severe famine, no longer has any money. He's starving. How did that freedom work out for him? So he decides to go back home. It says he, he came to his senses, one of the best verses in the Bible, when he came to his senses. And then look at these two verses from 18 to 19. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So you see what's going on here. The son realized in that moment, it would be better off for me to work for my father than to live freely without him. So let's apply that to our message today. You know, people often think that God's commands are tying us down and why would we want to live under rules and commands? But remember this story. We are better off doing what God says and living apart from him. True freedom is not found in doing whatever we want as much as we'd like to think that it is. It's found in doing what God wants. He's the one that made us and wired us. And then when Jesus himself was asked what the greatest commands were, he simply responded by saying, love God and love people. You know, the entire law is wrapped up in those two commandments. And uh, if you remember the, the Ten Commandments we just talked about, commands one through four, all about loving God, commandments five through ten, all about loving people. Now the truth is that sometimes as a Christian, it can be hard to balance between grace and law. You know, we're called to extend grace to others, but we're also called to confront sin and uh, point each other to the truth. Look at the example, though, that Jesus set. There was a woman caught in adultery. Now, by law, uh, she should have been stoned to death. But instead, Jesus offers grace, forgives her, doesn't condemn her. But at the end of that, he doesn't just say, okay, now go do whatever you want. He forgives her, shows her grace, and then says, now go and sin no more. So there's a way for us to help each other out. There's a way for us to confront each other's mess, but we've got to do it through love, with the same grace that God has granted us. Because remember, like that quote, God's rules are a guide for us, but they're not our destination. We can't be so caught up in rules and traditions and guidelines that we miss the point I mean, who, who did Jesus get upset with in the days of the Bible? It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the what? Law. These were religious people who knew God's laws very well. They tried to live by those laws. They tried to condemn others because of those laws. And yet Jesus got upset with them because they were missing the point. I can't measure up <laughs> to these laws on my own, and isn't that the point? I desperately need Jesus because there's no other way. There's also a story in John 5 I want to read real quick. Jesus uh, heals a man who was crippled. And look at this story from verse 8 on. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? I got to say this morning, I, I cannot believe this story. I cannot believe the response of these men. I mean, do you see what's going on here? This man had been crippled for nearly 40 years. And he's healed. A miracle. And what do these men do? Well, you know, it's the Sabbath, so uh, you're not supposed to be carrying your mat. I can just see, uh, picture his response like, Really? I mean, I was just healed. From 40 years, I was healed, and the man who did the miracle on me told me to carry my mat. So here's another chance for them to rejoice. What do they do? Well, who is this guy that told you to do that? It's like, can we not worry about the law later? Can we not rejoice for two seconds that this incredible miracle took place and that this man is healed and all you care about is your laws. Sadly, things like this still happen. Um, I want to encourage you all to please be on the side of grace. There's a time and a place to help each other with our sin and shortcoming, but as Christians, we are under grace and not law. So why would we ever put law over grace in our relationship with other people? Somebody may be a newer Christian just starting out in their faith and they feel judged by Christians who for many years have, because of how they've been treated. Or a non-Christian may want no part of Christianity because all their Christian friends care about is calling them out for their sin. We've got to see the good in people. We've got to extend the same grace that we are offered every day. Being a Christian is about life transformation not behavior modification. Our job is to point people to the gospel and to the love of Jesus. Once they meet Jesus, then their behavior will change. It is not the other way around. Author and pastor Tim Keller once said, the more you understand how your salvation isn't about your behavior, the more radically your behavior will change. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say he waited till we behaved better. No, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So how should we treat others? Wait till they stop sinning to love them? No, we love them anyway. We share the gospel. We be a true representative of Jesus. I want to close this morning with this thought. Uh, the Apostle Paul had a favorite phrase to write. Uh, two simple words, in Christ. Over 70 times in his letters, he wrote those two words, in Christ. I want to say this morning that there is no higher position on the planet than being in Christ. And as Judah Smith once said in a sermon, he said, your position will determine your practice, not the other way around. So don't pretend like our behavior determines if God loves you. Instead, realize that my position in Christ, a new creation in Christ, should then determine 
my practice. And I don't behave to get grace. I try to behave as evidence that grace has gotten me. It says in Galatians 2, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Like if we're going to pretend like my good works and, and me following the law is what makes me righteous and what makes God love me, then why did Christ die? He died because you and I could not do it on our own. So love God and love people, easier said than done, but it's what we're put on the planet to do. And so the question today is what will your response be? Um, maybe you've been living your Christian life like one big chore chart, you know, one big checklist of do's and don'ts. Jesus died to give you freedom from that. His mercies are new every morning. Maybe you're not sure about the whole Christianity thing and have more questions about it. I want to tell you that's awesome. Questions are a great thing as long as we're seeking the truth. I want to encourage you to talk to me or one of our elders um, if, you, if you have questions and want to talk more. Or maybe you're here today and you've decided today's the day that I want to take the highest position on the planet. Nothing that I can do, but it's all in Christ. If you want to make him the Lord of your life, we invite you to make that decision during our invitation song. So God's law actually brings freedom. But now we live under his grace. Thank God. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful again for your, your grace and your love for us. It's, it blows us away um, that we are undeserving and yet you love us anyway. And God, I pray for, for anyone here who maybe has been feeling like they've had to live under laws um, to understand that, that your grace is sufficient. And that's why you came, that's why you died. Help us also to extend that same grace to other people. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.